totally at the World Cup. Your balls are at the end of a very long leash held by a very short man. Go home, football, you're drunk. England reached the World Cup semi-finals with the most surprising of lineups: A big-headed lad who's actually quite humble and a Jordan who's no longer got any knockers. A team called England 2-0 winners over a Sweden side as armless as Gareth's waistcoat. We say that's Samara like it and salute Saturday's other winner, Croatia. Put the hosts out of their own tournament. It's all in totally at the World Cup. Tournaments. Ronaldinho takes and David Seaman's call off his line and Brazil take the lead. Oh my god, he's lost Seaman! Milner, Defoe, that's a lovely touch. That's hard. Ah, it's not over. And now it is all over for England. This is what happens in tournaments. A biannual bonfire of the vanities a regular reminder to get back in the box. But not this time. Remarkably, 2018 sees England in a World Cup semi-final, and deservedly so. Have it. It's another slice of liquid history coming in your ears, listeners. Courtesy of the big Michael Cox. Hi, James. James Horncastle. Good evening. Sasha Gurinov. Evening, James. Sasha, I'm so sorry. It's Saturday evening, listener. And, and, and Russia just crashed out on penalties. England will be playing Croatia, but that's not what's important right now. You're what's important, Sasha. My heart, <laughs> my poor heart, they broke it. Sasha is wearing a Soviet Union jersey. Yeah, oh. which bizarrely you only put on after the penalties were taken. Back in the USSR, James, the real country for which I am. Right. Well, you have so much to be proud of, you know, uh, for this tournament, with the team, with the tournament etc. Got to say, not everyone's impressed by the semi-final quartet of England, Croatia, France and Belgium. Here's Ryan O'Hanlon of The Ringer. Your potential World Cup champions, the team with Nasser Chadley and multiple Chinese leaguers orbiting the starting eleven. Didier Deschamps is their manager, bro. Multiple Jordans from Sunderland and Dejan Lovren is their best defender, man. Yeah, but it's the World Cup. I mean, you look at any World Cup tournament and the semi-finalists never seemed particularly impressive at the time. It's only in hindsight that we say, actually, that Germany side of 2014 were incredible, whereas actually they played incredible for one and a half games. So I think people have very lofty expectations for the quality of World Cup sides, but I think these four sides are decent. It's been a good tournament with some good sides and mm. they've, they've done well to get there. Also, Jimbo, if England beat Belgium, 
in the World Cup final. They'll be the first winner not to face a former champion at any point during their their run since West Germany in 1974. That's amazing. It's insane. <laughs> That's a remarkable stat. Okay, well, sorry. Also, sorry. give it to Croatia. Uh, they just got through two penalty shootouts, mm. um, two exhausting matches, and I think psychologically for a team like Croatia, this is hugely important. Uh, perhaps against England, they will be somewhat knackered, but I think psychologically they'll have that 5-10 extra percent, particularly if you remember what's been happening throughout the history, you know, Um, They lost to Portugal in the previous Euros very late in extra time. Uh, They uh, lost in ridiculous circumstances in 2008 on penalties after scoring 119th minute and conceding 122nd. You know, Slavin Bilic was manager back then. So for them to not perhaps play particularly well in these two knockout games, but to get through, I think is hugely important. Right. Carrying one or two injuries, though, into uh, Wednesday's game against England. Sorry, James, what were you going to say? No, exactly that. That It was a attritional game for mm. them in, uh, in that uh, we saw a number of players either cramping up or, or going off, not least uh, the goalkeeper staying on, even though yeah, it looked like he had some kind of hamstring problem and was, again, um, something of a hero in the penalty shootout. But... Um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think if England got back to their training base in Rapina and watched that, they'd be quite encouraged by seeing just you know how many um, Croatian players were pulling up uh, and may not be fit or hundred percent fit going into that game. Absolutely, Croatia go through to Wednesday night's meeting with an England team who made short work, to be fair, of the Sweden quarterfinal for something that. England fans have been waiting over 25 years for this. Did this feel curiously anticlimactic in its ease? Well, I think one of the reasons why it did, and I think the word a lot of people used was comfortable. Mm. It was only allowed to be comfortable thanks to Jordan Pickford making three remarkable saves. Um, you know, one at the beginning of the uh, second half and the the best one of the lot, I think, the one from Klaassen. Um Otherwise, I think it could have been a lot more nervy, nervy, a lot more typical kind of England. Yeah, I completely agree. I think both sides really played below their usual level. Um, England's set pieces continues to, to make sure that their play in open play doesn't really matter almost. I mean, I thought England started really poorly. Their passing was dreadful. Delhi Alley looked really out of shape. Um, and I was surprised that they didn't have more of a plan for breaking down Sweden. I mean, Sweden have played the same way in every game, the same 11 with the exception of an injury and suspension. They concede so much space out wide, and yet England didn't really seem to be working any co- uh, combinations down the flanks. It was, again, trying to build up through the centre. They're very keen on getting Lingard and Ali in behind, which was difficult against such a deep defence. And like I say, it was it was only the set piece that got them the breakthrough. But after that, I know that Pickford did have to make some good saves, but you never really saw anything from Sweden that made you think they could chase the game and get back into it. It was only a 2-0 down where they started pressing, and even that I don't think suited them. So, you know, as we all know, England have a very easy run Mm. to the semi-final, and this was the best example of that so far because Sweden are not a a great team. Lewis uh, pointing out England sacking Allardyce to win the World Cup exclusively with set-piece goals is a great art. (laughs) (laughs) I was just going to add that, you know, Sweden haven't chased the game in this tournament, so... It was always going to be difficult for them when they conceded first. But I also quite like the fact that you know England scored two headers against you know very strong central defensive partnership, and also the way England England worked the second goal to manage to find that space from side to side, side to side to put the ball in, and there was three England players attacking the ball potentially. So I think mm. they at that moment they basically just broke through the Swedish defence and basically broke Sweden for me. More to come on England and on England's uh, prospects on Wednesday against Croatia. Let's get a quick uh, word on how it was in the Cosmos Stadium for the England-Sweden game in Samara uh, with Kelly Sommers. 
You're listening to the Totally Football Show in association with Paddy Power. I haven't seen England get to a World Cup semi-final in my lifetime um, and it was comfortable, which is just really unknown for us um, English fans. Um, I wasn't really sure what to expect today because on paper we should have beaten them, um, but we found out before the game that there was going to be quite a lot of empty seats. It was the only game that had tickets remaining and we were told there's going to be about 10,000. We were also told there's going to be less than 3,000 England fans. I was a little bit wary going in. We were told there was a lot of England fans in Samara but they couldn't get tickets due to fan IDs. But the atmosphere those 3,000 or however many England fans created was just incredible. And there was a lot of neutral fans in there um, but the England fans just drowned them out and obviously they had a lot to cheer about. Yes, it was relatively easy in the end but one of those games that you won't forget for a very, very long time. It was a privilege to be there. Right. Where were you sat? So I was in front of the press box, uh, right in the front row. And in the tier below me, um, not far away from me at all, was all the, for the first 15 minutes, I spent it kind of just looking at who was down there because I spotted Jamie Vardy's wife, um, Jesse Lingard's family. His cousin plays for England's um, Lionesses, and I know her, so I spotted her. Then I spotted all of these Maguire shirts. Um, and I'm really glad I spotted it before he scored because, obviously, as soon as Harry Maguire scored, I looked straight down there. They went absolutely crazy. That's brilliant. A lot of fans have, have gone to quite extraordinary lengths just to make this game yeah we um we saw a couple of fans that claimed that they'd left on thursday taken two planes two journeys because russia's incredible and i really have very few i've been out here since the start i have nothing bad to say but the travel is one thing i mean i've this is my 13th city i've, I've obviously been back and forward quite a few places and um, this i've taken now 24 flights so it is not easy for england fans but now like my other half is saying he's going to book tickets for the final just in case we get there um, all of a sudden i think people are realizing it's probably worth coming out here and um yeah the england fans there may not be many of them here but when they have the in the stadiums they've been incredible harry Maguire, scorer of england's first goal here has he been has he been the standout player for you, Michael? Who, who's been the star for you of England in this game and the tournament? I think the tournament so far, I think Kieran Trippi has been excellent. I mean, his delivery from the right flank. I know he was a little bit responsible for the Columbia concession, but overall, I think he's been a constant outlet. And as I say, um, in an England side that continually goes through the centre, in an England side that has a right footer on the left, I think his width on the right has been so important. But yes, I thought Maguire was excellent, obviously his goal, but I thought his, his aerial dominance in the penalty box against the side that only really threatened with you know crosses and longer balls and set pieces yeah I think he was outstanding and a player that I imagine the vast majority of people who watch this game around the world probably wouldn't have been aware of Maguire I mean I know he plays for Leicester who won the title a couple of years ago but he's a relatively obscure but he player he wasn't with them when they won the title oh yeah, yeah exactly yeah. yeah came from Hull didn't he yeah mm-hmm. yeah just to pick up on Michael's point about people around the world not knowing much about him it's very encouraging um, that this group of players that I think beyond Kane has no obvious star seems to be coming together in a way that others with more talent haven't. I think only two of them made the the PFA team of the year um, as well. So only Walker and Kane. Um, the rest are kind of, I, I would say for people who don't pay a lot of attention to the Premier League and particularly to some of the big, uh, outside the big clubs of the Premier League, they're like, who are these guys? Well, who are these who guys? Who are these guys? I think they'd be aware of Jordan Henderson. Captain of Liverpool yeah, just still, played the European he, Cup he final. Would, you wouldn't even call him one of one of Liverpool's star players. But he I think, holds he holds that shape, and I think he holds that shape very well for Yeah, no, too. I do, and I think I think what's impressive about Henderson, we talk about um how well England have done from set pieces. It's usually him who's doing all the organising from all the calls for them, um, and showing great leadership there. Pickford probably not a massive name. No, absolutely not. No. Have you got a fave, Sasha? 
I just quite like the way England defends. Don't Do give you? up many chances. Very, it's it's a team. But if you quite often when English um, sort of media and public look at other teams and go, oh yeah, that team's really made for the knockouts because they're so solid at the back. But I think this England team is that, and I think. Um, you know, speaking to people in Russia uh, who have been watching quite a bit of England this tournament, they haven't really set the world alight, to be honest. You know, people haven't co- gone back raving, oh, look at the brilliant football they're playing. But they do uh, note that uh, it's, it's an extremely efficient team. They've kept their shape really well and quite an unusual shape. And they are hard to score against. So many goals have come from set pieces. Mm. You know, as I've said before, I don't think England have really broken down the opposition back four. They haven't played many through balls, in part because the opposition have defended very deep. I thought they could have used the ball a little bit quicker. There was a couple of interesting moments where Carl Walker very deliberately didn't cross uh, when he received the ball in a right-sided position. I wonder whether that was a deliberate instruction, you know, don't play into the hands of this Swedish side. But then it was a cross that got England the second goal with Deli Alley. And I've got to say, I don't think Ali's had a good tournament. I think he admitted after the game he, he didn't play well today. But that is what he does. I mean, we've seen him score that goal a few times for Tottenham, most notably against Chelsea, you know, two identical goals in the same game about 18 months ago. He is very good at breaking in behind from deep. And I think that is what could cause should we say, better teams' problems in the semi-final and hopefully final, um, teams that play higher up the pitch. We do get players going in behind. Lingard, Sterling got in behind. Obviously, his finishing wasn't very good. And Ali as well. So we do have threats from open play, but I agree that they haven't really found that many chances so far in this tournament. What do you think of their prospects against Croatia then, Sasha? I think England could have legs on Croatia. I know it's quite quite simplistic, but the way Croatia was completely exhausted today, mm-hmm. um, for me... Gives England a chance. Plus, I think there is a bit of a gap behind Croatian midfield uh, before the defence, which I think someone like Lingard Ali, perhaps Sterling, could use. Um, I don't think Croatia have really been, uh, in, the, in the last two games, I don't think they've been challenged particularly well in those areas. Um, and I think this is where England uh, could find some joy. OK. Well, let's speak to a man who's just finished watching Croatia defeating Russia after 120 minutes and penalties. Rory Smith of the New York Times is in Sochi. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson. Unbelievable. Unbelievable yes, yes, this. Yes. It turned into quite a good quarter-final. I'm not sure it, it was um, a classic in terms of its beauty, but it was certainly engaging, it was quite compelling, uh, and both of them, by the end, looked entirely knackered, which, to be honest, is what I want in a quarter-final. All right. Well, we have one heartbroken Russian here, but you had a whole stadium of them there. What, what was the mood after the penalties? Sombre, I would say. I, I was kind of expecting there to be a, a rousing round of applause for the team because they've, they've overperformed so astonishingly. I think... You know, everyone expected them maybe to get out of the group stage to sort of sneak out of the group and, and then get put away by Spain in the last 16. But they've stayed at their own party for far longer than most of us expected. And I, I, I presumed the fans would would stay to kind of acknowledge that. But they might have been a little bit too shell-shocked. Sasha would know better than I do, but I, w- I would guess that for the Russians, this has been such an emotional, to use the cliche, roller coaster over the last month to, to have the highs that they've had and then this kind of drutting low. I think that maybe takes a little bit of time to process. A lot of the players didn't really want to leave the pitch. They seemed to, well, A, be knackered, which made it quite hard to walk off the field, I guess. But they, they seemed to sort of sit down. They wanted, I think, for it to last as long as possible because th- this has been a summer the like of which they, they really weren't expecting. I was at the, the press conference before the first game and Alexander Samadov, he said of note, was that he and his teammates wanted to be a team that made the country proud. 
And I think they have. They've they've avoided embarrassment. They've they've played some decent stuff. They've they've recorded a kind of historic result by beating Spain. And they came within within a whisker of getting to the semi-final, which would have been unthinkable six weeks ago. Uh, so I think they didn't want it to to end. And I suspect the fans maybe weren't quite ready for the for the disappointment, given that everything's trying to fall in their way so far. Yeah, especially after that last-minute equaliser, which seemed like it had pitched momentum in their favour. What did you make of Croatia then, who who looked so impressive in the group stages, but have kind of failed to recapture that in, in the knockout games? Yeah, you can't really tell. It's a little bit the same with France. Both Croatia and France have kind of produced these seismic performances against Argentina. And then you watch all of their other games and you think, hmm, maybe Argentina are just rubbish. Uh, because Croatia looked brilliant that day in, in Nizhny Novgorod when they, when they sort of took, put Argentina to the swords. Here they had moments where they played very well. They, had, they played decent stuff at times. I do think they've got another level. I think they can raise their game uh, when they're faced with maybe more, more expansive opposition. I think they've run into a lot of teams who are determined to stop them playing and they've not necessarily had the quality in the final third to pick their way through reliably. Their midfield's pretty good. The one, the one player I think who really needs to step up if they're going to make the final is Rakitic, who was totally anonymous tonight. He's a player I adore, Ivan Rakitic, but thinking back, I can't remember him really standing out in, in, in any game in this tournament. Whereas Modric, although he's maybe not performed quite as well here for Croatia as he does for Real Madrid, is, is at least a kind of a central figure. Rakitic seems very much on the fringes of the game. That will need to change. They, they need him to be at his best to be England, I think. We've got three or four days before that semi-final rolls around and, and who knows what that's going to bring in terms of medical bulletins and the like. But how do you judge the state of this Croatia team going into that match with England in terms of injuries and, as you say, sheer exhaustedness? Well, logically, they've got to be shattered because they've, they've had a really draining game here against the Russian team who did, who did tire but did not tire as much as the Croatians. And they had the same thing against Denmark. In neither of those games did they kind of hit their straps particularly. They, they didn't impress any fully in either of those games. So it's not like they're, they're getting through these games and, and coming out thinking, you know, you, we've played really well. We can build up a momentum there. So I think they will be tired. They'll have to hope that Subasic, the goalkeeper, he seemed to get through the game just about. He saved one penalty. Mario Fernandes made it easier by putting his wise. They'll have to hope that he's not seriously injured because he is a massive advantage in penalties. I think his, his save ratio is about up towards 60%, which is astonishing. If it goes that way, he's a psychological boost to them. They've got to make sure that Modric, who's, who's not young anymore, isn't, isn't too exhausted and can, can still get through a, a high-level 90 minutes. Uh, they lost Vesalco, the right-back, at one point. Vedran Chorluka came on, who played in the first World Cup in 1930. And, you know, they, they do have depth, Croatia, but they're not as deep as, as France or as Germany would be. So they need their first-team players to be fit. And this is not the ideal preparation. England have to be favourites just because Croatia have played so much football. Right. Rory, you've been out there the whole tournament. Just to finish off, what's been your, your high point? What's the memory right now that you, you will take away and treasure? Uh, it's, a, it's an off-the-field one, to be honest. It was um, being on a train from Ekaterinburg to Samara for 24 hours and being force-fed food by a Russian woman who thought I wasn't eating enough, uh, which was kind of typical of Russian hospitality. On the pitch, the, the best game for me that, I, that I've been at, because I don't necessarily choose the best ones all the time, uh, was Portugal-Spain in Sochi as well. Uh, I think just the feeling around the country as well, the sense of excitement, the, the Latin American fans increasingly are the kind of the main feature of the World Cup, the Peruvians, the Colombians, the Mexicans, just the sheer number of them and the sheer joy that they bring. Uh, that tends to stay with you for a while. And I think the, the other thing is that these two semi-finals could both be fascinating. It, I always think that the World Cup is kind of a, 
it's a tournament of two halves. The first half is a carnival where you know, we, we, we all become captivated by Peru or, or whoever. The second half is very much a competition and this is the serious business. And I think it's really important. A lot of people say this is the best World Cup ever. That strikes me as being kind of social media excessiveness. Um, I think it's really important that we have three really good games to end it. Otherwise, it might be a bit of a sour note. But as it stands, it's hard to pick a moment because it's, it's all been fairly exciting. All right. What food was she force-feeding you with? Uh, she was force-feeding me cucumber, tomatoes, sausage and bread. And then I finished it. And then she filled my bowl up again with the same, same stuff. Then she gave me a muffin. And this was like three hours before I got into Samara. And I'd, I I'd decided I, I can make it through. I can push through. You know, I could maybe do with losing a few pounds anyway. So I thought, right, I'll get through. I'll get dinner in Samara. And then... I sort of said this to her through Google Translate, which is how everybody now communicates. And uh, she said, no, 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 no. Found a packet of Jaffa Cakes, Russian, Russian Jaffa Cakes, not actual Jaffa Cakes, and put them in my bag. And I, I felt really guilty for taking them, but she made it pretty clear that I wasn't, I wasn't allowed to not eat them. So I, I ate the Jaffa Cakes when I got into my hotel. Listeners, we're down to the business end of the World Cup. And while we give you the game-by-game analysis for a broader cultural and sociological view of the key narratives from Russia and elsewhere, check out the current series of the Game of Our Lives podcast. Join host David Goldblatt as he explores issues such as the tensions between Russia and FIFA, how presidential and governmental politics across the world are intertwined with the greatest sporting tournament on earth, and with the likes of Germany, Spain and Argentina having exited the tournament early and Italy and Holland never having qualified in the first place, how this has truly been the World Cup of the underdog. Search for The Game of Our Lives with David Goldblatt wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe now. Rory Smith of the New York Times, Sash. I know I've been panned for my uh, prediction of Russia flopping at this World Cup. Yeah. So I just have to take my hat off to the guys because I think given the doom and gloom until the, virtually the day before the tournament, um, the massively low expectations, the depressed journalists, the depressed Russian public... The guys and Chochesov made made fools of us all. Uh, they've played some fun football. They've played some attritional football against Spain. And today, they went to penalties in the quarterfinal of the World Cup. This had not happened in decades. Uh, so for a team that was supposed to be the worst hosts to go to this, I think, big well done to them. And when you look back, as I'm sure you've been doing in these weeks, as to how they were able to transform from your prediction of the worst Russian side ever to a team that came within a whisker of a semi-final what, what, what's the answer for you? Maybe there's just pure luck or maybe Chochesov is a genius which I doubt or maybe it is down to Mario Fernandez, the guy who unfortunately missed the penalty today because going into the first match from the awful warm-up games when Russia 1-4 at the back he was the man who came in I think he did a fantastic job there also these Russian players actually showed remarkable flexibility because they went from 4-2-3-1 to 5-3-2 against Spain, back to 4-2-3-1 today. And fundamentally, though, they made most of the chances they got. Uh, they converted virtually every goal-scoring opportunity. And um, they defended well. Akinfeev had his wonderful moment. 39-year-old Ignashevich, I thought, made a great um, uh, central defensive partnership with Kutepov, who was a bit of a joke. Also, Ignashevich converted two penalties beautifully. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, um, I think for me, uh, the guy who has to be in the Tournament eleven is uh, Cherashev, the oft-injured, the guy who gave the team that flair. And perhaps one last player whom we might see in the Premier League next season is Alexandre Golovin, mm-hmm. uh, whom Chelsea are very much interested in. Obviously, Juventus uh, had an offer on the table for him before the tournament. Um my understanding is if there is an offer from Chelsea and a similar offer from somewhere else uh, because of the understanding between uh, Giner, the owner of Chelsea, and Roman Abramovich, uh, Golovin will come to Chelsea. 
So as he heads off to St. Petersburg, England head to Moscow for this semi-final against Croatia, which Rory reckons they're favourites for. And I'm going to guess that nobody is going to disagree, James. No, I think ordinarily um, I I would go with Croatia. But after watching them in these last two games, having seen them have to play 120 minutes, go through penalties, go through the ringer, lose players to injury, I I think you have to favour England. Mm. And that's not just, you know, sort of getting carried away. I think that's just an objective look at um, the state of these two teams at the moment. And also, even though England may not have impressed the locals yet, they have looked probably the most comfortable side of any of the teams in these quarterfinals. Yes, no, I mean, they had a very easy, uh, I mean, not physically taxing game. I mean, mm. it was obvious they were just superior to Sweden in terms of pace. I thought well, they didn't start out that way, to be fair. It was a nervous beginning, which they made more comfortable. No, but physically, I don't think it was a, a difficult game no, for them. No, that's true. Was, I mean, Sweden are quite slow, I think. Whereas Croatia have now played 120 minutes twice in a row. And as Rory pointed out, they don't have great strength and depth. So I think Croatia will probably outplay England in midfield. But I think England will probably outscore Croatia because I think they've got the legs and I think they've got the quality in both boxes. And I'm also not convinced with Mandzukic uh, leading the line into that England defence. Because even, even today, I don't know, I don't think he provides that focus that your centre forward should in these situations. I don't think he's had the mobility and just haven't really been impressed with him. Mm. They're I not disagree. getting the best out. I disagree, yeah. actually. I thought yeah. he was really good first half today. I thought he made good runs. His ball for the um, Cramerich goal was really good. I mean, I, he always looks awkward and a maybe, little bit tired. But maybe, I, maybe it wasn't in my memory, maybe because he fades after, after half yeah. time. Well, I, I think he took a few knocks, didn't true, he? And true. he certainly didn't look fit towards the end. But, um, yeah, I think that physical battle... Um, between him and it depends which side he basically lines up Um, but against Maguire or Walker could be quite interesting and uh, I think another player who's had a good tournament is is Rebic who everyone remembers emphatically taking advantage of that uh, Caballero miskick but yeah he's been he's been uh, a real find and looked I thought in the first half against Russia tonight seemed to have um, had the number of uh, of the defender he was playing against and was you know, able to hold the ball at well physical run at players. So I just think England have got. I, I do feel England have got a, a physical edge in this game, and they know. I think Rio Ferdinand made this point in the studio at halftime. There's a fear factor now for teams whenever they concede a corner, a free kick against England. There you go. The one thing I'd be slightly concerned by for England um, is that they've played pretty much the same way every game. I thought they were going to change their tactics today. They played the same so, way. Whereas Croatia, if what you look... What is the way that they play in every game, just for thickies? Well, I mean, it's been the same system, the same starting eleven, with the exception right. of the Belgium game. They haven't shown any plan B or plan C. They've played the same way. Whereas you look at what Croatia have done, mm. they've played 4-4-2, they've played mm. 4-3-3, 4-2-3-1. They've ended up playing with four central midfielders, albeit one tucked into the side. So I just wonder whether, you know, England haven't shown any tactical variety. They haven't really been stretched in a tactical sense. I think Croatia could do that with a manager who can change things and some very versatile players as well. One thing that did concern me today for Croatia as well, Lovren. Uh, I think Lovren was somewhat erratic. Back to the Lovren that Liverpool fans dislike. I think there was... Few, a little bit too much grappling and too much shouting, and I don't think he was holding his position particularly well. Well, he was so bad against uh, Harry Kane at Wembley, wasn't he? That he got hooked after half an hour. So, I imagine that will be discussed in the in the build-up to the game on maybe on both sides. Well, football may be coming home, but totally football going on the road. Uh, We're going to be live at the Royal Northern College of Music in Manchester on Friday, the fifth of October. 
If you'd like to come and join us and uh, maybe a special guest or two, uh, head to ctickets.com and search for Totally Football Live now. Woof. Right. What's the biggest danger for England as they face Croatia on, on Wednesday, Michael? Well, I don't think we have any midfielders that are as good on the ball as Modric or Rakitic, for that matter. I slightly disagree with what Rory says. I think Rakitic has kind of played a supporting role for Modric. I don't think he's had a bad tournament at all. But as we saw today, I mean, at times Modric looked knackered and then he just had that burst of energy. He's got such quick feet. He he draws out to the right side and and finds space out there. And England don't really have a midfielder of that calibre. So... There's every chance that Modric can run the show. I still feel that England have the speed on the counter-attack to cause Croatia problems, but I think we'll spend longer on the back foot than we have in any other game. Probably longer on the back foot than we have in, you know, the Sweden, Panama and Tunisia games combined, to be honest, because Croatia are just a a much better side than we face so far, really. Okay. Sasha, now that your team's out, who's going to win this World Cup? You've got France, Belgium, England or Croatia... Open that golden envelope for us, please. <laughs> Let me just see what Vlad sent me. Yeah, it's going to be France. You think it's going to be France? I think it's going to be France. I, I, I don't think France have played to the full potential yet. Um, I actually think that Belgium defended appallingly in the closing <laughs> stages of the Brazil game. I right. I was not really impressed at all. I think every time Brazil went forward, they looked like scoring those last maybe 15 minutes. Uh, so um, I know Martinez got a lot of praise, but I think... I think they got opened up quite a bit there. Uh, And whoever comes out of England and Croatia, uh, I think they will suffer against the pace of Mbappe. Again, um, Mbappe going wide of the three centre-backs for England. uh, I think there will be issues there. And then there's things like familiarity. I think, you know, Giroud knows all these players from, from his experience in the league. And you know what? You might laugh at it, but it is important because, for example, Verdan Cerluka spent years and years in Russian football and he gave um, the Croatian coaching staff basically the rundown on what this Russia team can do. Interesting. All right. Well, as we head into the uh, first of two rest days, let's get some odds on uh, the battle for the Golden Boot and more. Producer Ben has been speaking to Paddy Power. Thanks, Jimbo. Lee Price from Paddy Power. You're here, and the quarterfinals are over. Not bad, eh? Oh, I can't believe I've still got my voice. Ridiculous. Uh, unpredictable. That's just England, obviously. The rest, fine. Uh, England, absurd. Having come to the end of the round, Lee, let's do our usual thing. Let's talk about the overall for the World Cup. Just four teams left now, and the race for the Golden Boot. Yeah, so <laughs> to win the World Cup, the favourites, as you expect, uh, France at 2-1. to one. Belgium are joint second favourites currently at 5-2 to two with England. And I haven't got my notes wrong. In fact, the odds with England are being crashed in every single second. They're getting shorter and shorter. As for the golden boot, Harry Kane has it sewn up, I think. He's 1-9, to nine, which is absurd. Lukaku is 9-1 to one to catch him. The rest, no value better than them, I'm afraid. And Lee, as we're heading into two glorious rest days, uh, give us the odds, please, for the France v Belgium semi-final. This is the one that everyone sees as the real final. But it should be the spectacle of the final four. France are six to four to progress. Belgium two to one. So very tight odds there. Extra time is twenty-one to ten. Should be very interesting. You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com. Eighteen plus only. Begambleaware.org. And when the fun stops, stop. So two rest days. What, what do you recommend? What are we going to do with ourselves, Sash? I think I need to lie down after this. All right, I'll, I'll join you. I think probably. <laughs> Michael, any um, thoughts? I'd recommend watching a YouTube video um, that involves John Gregory Villamander in the oh, yeah. mid to late 90s explaining why Gareth Southgate's nickname was Harry. 
or the gate. Or the gate, but Harry is the much better nickname. So, um, just in case I didn't want to go and watch that video, what's the answer? (laughs) Because I'm really intrigued now. Well, apparently, from Southgate, you get the political constituency of Enfield and Southgate. Right. And from Enfield, you get Harry Enfield. And the gate, obviously, is from Southgate. Yeah. Right. That's quite arcane, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it was quite obscure. There's also another really funny related video that is just the Villa side from 1997 listing their favourite drinks. And... It doesn't sound that funny, but I promise you I've watched it about 20 times. It features all your old favourites, Andy Townsend, Paul McGrath and uh, Dwight York. And it's, yeah, it's amongst my favourite videos on YouTube. It's what's, the, what's the most surprising drink in there? None of them are that surprising. I mean, no. I mean, the good thing is it's not interesting at all. Right. But it clearly okay. made for a, a great feature of a 1997 VHS. Right. Excellent. <laughs> Uh, very good. James, what will you be getting up to before you return for the semi-finals? Uh, I think I'll probably watch some of the other sport that's going on. I see. There's a lot of great yeah, sport. Yeah, that people there. are missing. Tour yeah. de France started today. Tour de France. So, yeah. Well, we're back on Tuesday after France play Belgium. We'll be reacting to that game and looking forward, of course, to Wednesday's semi-final, England against Croatia. Make sure you join us for that. Listener, you can always get in touch in the meantime with your questions and comments at The Totally Show on Twitter or on Facebook. Have yourselves a super couple of days doing whatever it is you enjoy most and we'll catch up with you soon on Totally at the World Cup You've been listening to the Totally Football Show a Muddy Knees Media production Subscribe now and get the latest episode delivered right to your phone for free Supporting your team at the World Cup can be a phenomenal experience but then Beckham boots Simeone Lampard's goal isn't given or someone puts on an England shirt and misses a penalty The highs, more often than not come with lows and that's a little bit like life really so while we're all supposed to be buzzing with world cup excitement and lapping up all this football all that var and all those nigeria kits remember that someone close to you might be going through one of life's tougher times every day on average 12 men take their own life in the uk that's your starting 11 and your manager every single day scary huh but that's part of the problem many of us still feel mental health and suicide are taboo topics and this can stop men from opening up and getting support when they need it most That's why we're working with Calm, the campaign against living miserably, a charity dedicated to preventing male suicide. We here at the Totally Football Show believe we should all support each other the way we support our team, through the ups and the downs, the glorious wins and the embarrassing red cards, the good days and the bad. So if you're worried that someone close to you is having a tough time, check in with them and let them know that Calm is there. Every day from 5pm till midnight, Calm provides a free, confidential and anonymous helpline and web chat for any man who needs support. They've also got a website which is packed with the kind of info you need if you or any of your mates are having a rough one. Visit thecalmzone.net to find out more about Calm.